Good morning, Crosswalk. How are we doing this morning? We good? We good? Again, you can talk back. This is a safe space um, to talk back. If you say anything I don't like, then security will come and get you. That's all. Um, I don't know who security is, but we'll figure it out. Uh, hey, no, uh, if you were with us last weekend, man, it was such a good Easter weekend celebration, still riding the high uh, of that weekend, and, uh, and still feeling really bad for uh, Raul, who was baptized last weekend, if you saw him just shaking in there. The good news is we get to baptize Kezia today, and by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the water is warm, amen. <laughs> Amen. So we might just stay in there for a while afterwards. But um, the cool thing last Sabbath for me was on the way home, uh, I kept getting these texts from different leaders uh, here at Crosswalk, our ministry leaders, our leadership team, who said similar things. Like everybody was like, my feet are so tired, but my heart is so full. Um, and, and that was a common thread. And I tell you, it just is so exciting to be a part of a community of faith that is on the move, chasing Jesus wherever he goes. And last weekend was a great example of that. And I'm super excited that you're back this weekend, even without the promise of Chipotle. Um, And somebody just said, what? No Chipotle this weekend? It's okay. It'll be back again another day. Don't worry. But... But thank you for being here. Uh, Last week, of course, we ended our series called Beloved, which was six weeks going through the book of John leading up to Easter. And this Sabbath is the Sabbath in between two sermon series. So at Crosswalk, we call that Campus Day. Campus Day is a day for us to focus on something that we feel called to focus on before we get into next week's series. And Angela mentioned it before. It's called Christophany, which is going through the Old Testament and finding Jesus in the stories. So we're so excited to start that, and I'm super excited because the next weekend we have my good friend, the new lead pastor of La Sierra University Church, Pastor Icky Taimi will be here with us. Um, And some of you know Pastor Icky, but you will not want to miss. I love going out to eat with Pastor Icky and getting into a conversation with the waitress, and and then she'll ask, like, oh, what's your guys' names? And I'll start, and I'll say, what's Patty? And say, oh, Patty, that's an interesting name for a for a guy to have, and then she turns to Icky, and I say, well, this is not getting better. <laughs> so I look forward to that happening next weekend. Um, and then two weeks uh, away, which will be Mother's Day weekend, we get to celebrate our moms that weekend, Pastor Tim Gillespie will be here in person with us. Um, and so be sure to mark your calendars. You won't want to miss those weekends. And as Angela said as well, starting a new sermon series means we'll have new sermon series guides for you to grab next weekend, although they will be online at crosswalkportland.com tomorrow. So if you want to start the journey in Christophany, the new sermon series guides online tomorrow, in person on hard copy next week. This week, I wanted to build a bridge between what Jesus came to do in his life on earth versus what we are called to do in our life on earth. And to begin, I want to take you to one passage towards the end of the book of John that we just spent time studying um, and look at something that happened after the resurrection. We know 
tomb was empty, John 20, we know that Mary met Jesus in the garden um, and she mistook him for the gardener. She was the first one to witness Jesus. That was amazing that a woman was the first one to witness Jesus, that she was the central figure in that story. But in John 20, after all of this happened, it says this, John 20, 19, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Now, as I've imagined this scene, as I often do, uh, I see the playful side of Jesus, right? It's like he's hiding in the shadows and just jumps out and says, surprise! You know, and, and, and of course, then the, he follows that up with, <laughs> you guys, you should see your face. I got you so good, right? He's, he's playing with them a little bit, and, and the disciples naturally have to catch their breath. They're simultaneously f- filled with fear, bewilderment, and joy at the same time. But the text goes on and says, again, he said, peace be with you. It must have meant he had to say it twice because they were freaking out. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not quite sure exactly how this all went down and and what it was like for him to breathe on them. Scholars kind of wrestle over this verse. Was this the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Was it just symbolic? Was this the first Pentecost? What what exactly went on in this? But uh, regardless of what all of that was, we know that something happens when God breathes, right? And we're told that in Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. When God breathes, life is given. So when Jesus breathed on the disciples that night, life was given. But what life are we talking about? Well, on that weekend, having gone through the portals of the tomb and dethroned the powers of sin and darkness, Jesus gave life to a new version of his body, a new creation, a creation that would, in a few short days, be filled with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And for what purpose was this life given? Jesus said, as the Father sent the Son, the Son sends us. The body, the purpose of the body is to express the life that exists within it. Therefore, our purpose as Christ's body in our world today is to express the life of Christ that lives in us. And this body we speak of, we call it the church. The continued expression of God's presence on earth. Here's one example of how New Testament writers thought about the life of Jesus before resurrection and after resurrection. The book of Acts begins with these words. In my first book, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach. The author of the book is Luke, and Luke wrote two books. He wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. And so, of course, he's speaking in his first book, the book of Luke, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach. And so Acts, then, is the book that is about what Jesus continued to do and teach through his presence of the Holy Spirit in his followers, the church. Interestingly enough, the book of Luke and the book of Acts start very similarly. 
In the beginning of Luke, the angel says to Mary, the mother of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the church... The body of Christ was born through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is amazing and supernatural. There's just one problem. In our world today, in our culture, most people don't experience church this way. Most have negative views of the church. Even ones who say they like Jesus will often say, but I don't like his followers. Or they may say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. It's a common phrase. Church and churchgoers have gotten a lot of negative press over the years. And sadly, a lot of it isn't, well, is well-deserved, I should say. The scandal of toxic leadership at Mars Hill Church. Uh, The moral failing of leaders at Willow Creek Church, along with other prominent Christian leaders and speakers. The horrific actions of the Westboro Baptist Church spreading hate and not love. The current crisis going on within the Hillsong family of leaders. No doubt there have been a lot of major failings and a huge crisis of identity within the church. But we can bring the failings of the church out of the context of these megachurch experiences and into our own expression of faith, can't we? Our own faith tribe, Seventh-day Adventism, is nowhere near immune to its own set of challenges. I mean, we've been arguing over women's ordination for decades. We've been threatening compliance over those that don't fall in line. We've been obsessing over rules devoid of relationship. We postulate over end-time conspiracies on and on and on. We fight over how to love or not love the LGBTQI community or anyone different than us. We argue about creation, styles of worship, and the list goes on. And some of us in this room, because I've had conversations, some of us in this room were incredibly hurt by the church or its leaders, or we have friends and family that have been. So even getting them to come to a place like this seems out of the question. And for those of you that have been hurt by the church that are here today, that in and of itself is a miracle and a choice that we do not take lightly. We want this place to be a place of belonging, a place where you can feel safe and loved. And hear me, I still believe that there is much reason to hope and that Christ's church can still bring light and healing into the world. Why do I believe this? Because I believe in Jesus and I believe in his call for his church. I believe deeply in what we're doing through Crosswalk and the movement God is leading through our expression of church. I was just talking to someone about that this week um, who's another leader in the church and we were talking about what is so much fun about what we're doing here is it feels like we're moving. It feels like we're going somewhere. And that is so exciting. Every weekend there's something I can point to that say, see, Jesus did that. We didn't do that. Now, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but we don't have to be because Jesus is. And we will do our best to keep Jesus at the center and the circumference of our faith. I have been challenged before because I spend so much time talking about Jesus. 
I've been challenged before by people saying, well, when are you going to get past Jesus onto the meatier things of Scripture? Friends, we don't get to get past Jesus. Jesus is the reason. He's the center. He's the circumference. Some people say, oh, he's the spiritual milk. Pastor Tim said this not long ago. Okay, sure, he's a spiritual milk. He's the cup that holds the milk. He's the table that holds the cup up. He's the house that the table is in. He is everything. Jesus is everything. And Jesus is who we obsess over. Because here's the reality. When Jesus isn't at the center of what we're doing, then it is far too easy for church to be more about us than it is about Jesus. And mind you, like I said, we don't have to be perfect. We can leave that up to Jesus. We just have to follow. I shared this story, I think, uh, last year at one of our pop-ups, but uh, I used to live in the Rust Belt of America, which sounds like a really weird place to live because it sounds like you just have to get tetanus shots like every day, but that's what they call it. There's a lot of churches. There's a lot of churches with signs and marquees out front, and sometimes you see churches battle it out between each other because they'll have like competing statements. And that happened one uh, day on my way to work. I passed these two churches, and one of them, on the side of their building, it wasn't a sign, it was on the side of their building, it said, welcome the end of your search for the perfect church. I thought, wow, that is bold. I never once wanted to go there, but, but you know, kudos for them for stating what they think they are. Uh, and then one day, I'd never noticed this church before, but this week I noticed that they were kind of, you know, it was a little shout out to the other church. It was more of a dilapidated church, a little broken down by an old cemetery. And on the front of their sign, it said, if you're looking for the perfect church, don't come here. This one's full of sinners. Now that church, I would go to. <laughs> I appreciated their honesty. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, the church is not supposed to be a society of perfect people doing great work. It's a society of forgiven sinners repaying their unpayable debt of love by working for Jesus' kingdom in every way they can, knowing themselves to be unworthy of the task. In order to do what Wright suggests, we must regularly bathe in the unconditional and indescribable and all-consuming love of Christ. We must stay centered on the source of the life of church. We must be singularly and completely consumed by and focused on Jesus, our source of strength. But we also have to remember that it is the devil's constant effort to divert our attention away from Christ and onto ourselves, our own faults and imperfections, or the faults and imperfections of others. Constant effort. So how do we keep from getting off track and making church more about ourselves than about Jesus? Well, maybe it begins with a question. Let's ask, why church? I mean, if people are so easily distracted from what church is supposed to be, then maybe we're better off doing our own form of Christianity or spirituality, keeping ourselves free from the bureaucracy and the politics and the constant distractions that the church so many of us have experienced in our lives seems to be consumed by. So yeah, why church anyway? Well, to answer that question, I want to look at the word itself and where it comes from. Church in the New Testament comes from the Greek word ekklesia. And though today many of us think of church and we think of a building or we think of a program, that was never what the word ekklesia 
meant in the ancient world. In fact, its origin had nothing to do with the religious world either. In their culture, ecclesia was often an action word used to describe a group of people coming together to fulfill a certain purpose or because of a shared interest. So church, ecclesia, was a group of people coming together to fulfill a certain purpose or because of a shared interest. So in this context, we have all kinds of ecclesias today. For example, every year, there are a group of Abraham Lincoln impersonators that gather together to celebrate the fact that they think they look like Abraham Lincoln, (laughs) and they talk everything there is to talk about considering Abraham Lincoln. So these impersonators get together. When I was 13 years old, long before I could drive myself to things and make my own decisions of where I wanted to go, my brother took me to another church. And since my brother was a huge fan of science fiction stories, he took me to a Star Trek convention. Anybody in the room been to a Star Trek convention? Yeah? Yeah! It is everything that you have imagined or heard about or maybe even seen on the Big Bang Theory, Um, which that's just one of my favorite episodes right there. People in Star Trek costumes, pointy ears around every corner, and some even speaking Klingon, the made-up language for Star Trek. That's what people do. But these people get together, like those that dress up as comic book heroes at Comic-Con, and they have church. They assemble with a purpose. Even atheists have church in the traditional sense of the Greek word, ekklesia. I even found a place in Seattle called Seattle Atheist Church. These people come together in their own words to do church to address the big questions of life minus the supernatural and celebrate meaningful life events with atheist rituals. They call themselves church because they gather with shared values to discuss what's important to them. What I find out, found out about the church on their website, though, was interesting. So they don't have a pastor, so in order to decide who's going to speak that week, they have a talking unicorn that they pass around, and whoever has the said talking unicorn gets to speak. And so I don't have a talking unicorn, um, but I have talking Olaf. I don't know if anybody wants to... I heard carrots are good for your eyes, but I think they're actually much better for your nose. <laughs> that tickles. So this could work for us. Anybody, anybody up for... No? Okay. Maybe later. We'll sit him down. I raised his hands for the praise team so that he could praise while they were, while they were singing. Uh, so, there's, there's Olaf. Anyway, so that to them is church. So back to the original question, why church? Well, it seems in the context of what I just shared, uh, of what going to church is in its original meaning anyway, every one of us belongs to some sort of church with shared values or shared purpose. So I guess the better question really isn't why church, it's what kind of church do you want to be a part of? What purpose do you feel called to participate in? And as believers, what is God calling you to do as a part of that call? For years and years, I worked with young adults on university campuses, and I told them, especially the ones that were so frustrated with the church they were thinking of leaving or the ones that had left, I said, look, you have two choices. You can either spend your time complaining about church or you can be the church you want to see in the world. That's a little bit of a steal from Gandhi, but he said it was okay. 
Um, so why don't we work harder to just be the church we want to see in the world? For example, if we want to be a more loving and accepting church that embodies the grace and the radical inclusivity of Jesus, then maybe we should practice being more loving and accepting and radically inclusive like Jesus. But more often in our world today, we find different models of church that don't seem to reflect as much the life that Jesus lived. As I reflected on some of these other models I've experienced, there's two really dominant ones that kind of jump out at me. One is the social club or the feel-good church, right? This is where people get together to chat and to network, um, and, and then at the end of the day, just to feel better about themselves, This is often the once-a-week church. Church happens for an hour on Saturday or Sunday, and there are very few people that are involved in making it all happen. This church doesn't want to be made to feel uncomfortable or to be challenged toward healing and growth. They just want to consume a good product, period. Then there is the hide-and-shelter church, whose main focus is to keep oneself pure from the evil world. These people take seriously the latter half of the statement to be in the world, but not of it. They are so focused on getting out of this evil place that as the saying goes, they're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly value. But here is the burden on my heart, church, and how I truly see church as birthed by Jesus. Church is meant to be the presence of God in this world. Jesus was sent to make God more clear, to make the visible, uh, to make visible the invisible, to incarnate or make flesh the love and grace and kindness of God. So as Jesus was sent, so are we. Our job as his body is to incarnate the love and grace and kindness of Jesus at home, at work, when we gather, and even when we pray alone in our rooms at night. Church is a society of forgiven sinners who come together to love one another as Christ loved us, to encourage one another, to serve and give and take up our cross so we can help people see Jesus in our world. It's why I love this passage in John's first letter that he wrote. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. No one has ever seen God, but when we love one another, those inside the church community, those outside the church community, when we love others, God is seen through us. Church isn't a building. It's not a program. It doesn't happen one day a week. Church is a way of life that takes our participation both in our prayer closets and when we gather at work and at home, at the baseball game with friends. Yes, I said a baseball game. In the front row of the concert we've been waiting to attend and at the bedside of a loved one at the hospital. In their book, Jesus, a Theophany, authors Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola wrote this, to live as a member of the body of Christ is a participative reality. As such, they go on to say, you can't adequately follow Jesus without being part of a shared life community that lives and gathers under the headship of Christ. The Christian life was never meant to be lived in isolated individualism. Following Jesus has always been a corporate experience, and it always will be. Until we get this right, until we learn to live together in community with Christ, empowered by his spirit, living as his presence in the world, will just be an event, a service, a place to come and feel better about ourselves. Or will just be a place to hide from what's happening around us, a club where only the self-righteous are allowed to enter in. 
But if we can really wrestle with what it means to be the body of Christ together in community, then maybe together we can change the world. Here's some ways I think this works, shared in the spirit of comedian Jeff Foxworthy. If you take time out of your busy week to help an elderly neighbor mow their yard, you might have just had church. If you take homemade cookies to work just to brighten your coworker's day, you might have just had church. If you sit down with a friend and discuss what Jesus is doing in your lives over a cup of coffee, you might have just had church. If you volunteer at Crosswalk, teaching the kids a story, taking the walk on an afternoon hike, making coffee on a Sabbath morning, or running slides for the service, you might have just had church. We all ecclesia. We all church. And in the model we're presenting, church is no longer a checklist or a chore. It's not a building or a service. Church is you and me helping others uh, and doing our best to keep our eyes on Jesus and live as his presence in the world. So the question is, what kind of church do you want to be a part of, and what is God calling you to do to make that church a reality? At Crosswalk, our call to help others see Jesus is to love well. It is a one-word mission statement, a one-word vision statement, because we believe that to follow Jesus means that we love one another. And love isn't the fluffy kind of, oh, you, I, I've had people say to me, oh, you're just the church that loves people. Yeah, good job, (laughs) thank you, (laughs) right? But love isn't just this fluffy kind of do whatever you want. Love is, is hard and love is risky. I mean, Jesus was killed because of the way he loved people, because his table was too big, his love was too radical, right? So loving others the way Jesus called us to love is dangerous, But that's our call. Jesus said it on the night. We talked about this. He said it on the night before he was crucified. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So you should love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. That is our call. When we gather together to worship, we church. When we serve as baristas, we church. When we come together to share food with over 140 people in need like we did this last week, we church. When we donate blood like we will next week, though I promise I won't before the sermon because I learned my lesson last time. Um, But... Um, when we donate, we are, doing, we are being church. When we pull over to help someone in need, we church. When we take time to listen to a coworker share about a struggle in life, we church. When the resurrected Jesus breathed on his disciples, he gave birth to his church. And when the Holy Spirit descended to take up residence inside of his followers, his church was commissioned to go into all the world as agents of the kingdom of God here on earth as in heaven. It isn't easy work. Sometimes it'll make us uncomfortable or even come at a great cost. But one thing is for sure, when we live as a church obsessed with Jesus, we have the power to change the world living inside of us. Holy Spirit power, resurrection power. So people of Crosswalk, what kind of church do you want to be? Let's get involved. 
Let's sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to what he has to say. And let's be the church he wants to see in this world, the church he needs in this world. Because we serve a God who gave himself for us, let's, let's do the same for him. That's what he asks, family. Let's be church. Would you pray with me? Father God in heaven, I thank you. I thank you so much that you loved us so much that you poured yourself out and became us, took on our flesh, our bones, our blood in order to show us how to live a better life. And then you gave all that up. You died on a cross and went into the portals of the tomb. But as we celebrated last weekend, you birthed from that portal with new life, new light, and you had destroyed the reign of death and darkness over us. And with that, you breathed onto us new life. We are your church. We are your body. The presence of God in this world, help us live like it. Not one hour a week, not just a little bit here, a little bit there, but let it consume our lives. May we live for you and may in all that we do, May we love well, because that what you, that's what you did for us, and that's what you've asked us to do for you. I pray these things in the precious and holy and powerful resurrected name of Jesus Christ.